you have your Bibles, please open them to Amos chapter 7. And we're going to start with verse 10, and then we'll conclude the chapter. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, So we're continuing on through Amos and... We have harsh things said today. We have a um, harsh condemnation against Amaziah, the priest. Um, And it's it's something that we have to consider in the scriptures is that sometimes there's harsh things said against people, um, harsh judgments. But judgment comes because people refuse to repent, because they refuse faith. And so it is that we continue on with this story of what happened between Amaziah and Amos. And we start with verse 10. Then Amaziah the prophet of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Now before we go too much further, I'm going to go to our map. There it is. And Bethel. Um, Bethel, right here. And we're going to see why Bethel was so important. Um, But that's where we're at. That's where Amos is at. That's where Amaziah is at. And that's the city that Amos is currently in. And it's interesting that he's there, um, as we'll see. So at this point in Amos, we have a brief interlude where we have a narrative. In this narrative, we see an encounter between the priest Amaziah and Amos. And we begin by noticing that Amaziah was the priest of Bethel. This is significant because Bethel, that city that we just saw on the map, was a key worship site for the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, A cultic site set up by the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Jeroboam I. And so when he's going there, he's basically going into the lion's den, being a prophet of Yahweh, going to this this city that is not worshiping God as God has called them to worship. So because of this, we know that Amaziah, though, he was a man of importance for the northern kingdom. So he sends a letter to Jeroboam II, informing the king that Amos is speaking out against Jeroboam II. The preaching of Amos was so harsh that he goes so far as to say the land itself will not be able to bear all of his words. 
And now we notice a few things about this. The first is, it's a political thing that he's doing. The word conspire he uses. Such conspiring was not unknown with the kings of either the northern or the southern kingdoms. And it's Mike um, who, who always says, or he often says at least, that if you ever wanted to make a soap opera, go ahead into First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles because that would make a great one. There's so much intrigue, so much backstabbing when it comes to the kings during this time period. So for Amos to be a conspirator in this way for Amaziah is to get Jeroboam's attention very quickly. Likewise, it also shows us that Amos' preaching and prophesying is important enough that those in power are taking notice. Amaziah also includes some of what Amos has prophesied, which includes Jeroboam's death by the sword and Israel going into exile. Now, there is a problem with this, since Amos has not spoken um, that Jeroboam II would die by the sword. He's never said that. Instead, in verse 9 of this chapter, we read, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. We notice this is against the house of Jeroboam rather than the person Jeroboam. So Amaziah is not accurately portraying that aspect of Amos' preaching. The rest of it, however, is something Amos has prophesied about, and that is that Israel will, in fact, go into exile. So we see Amaziah presenting a half-truth to the king on what Amos has preached, likely for political reasons. Now verses 12 and 13. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Now we find Amaziah confronting Amos himself. There is no record of the king responding to Amaziah, nor is there any information that the king initiated this confrontation. Um, regardless of this, Amaziah has such a political status that he would be able to go on behalf of the king and the religious elite to speak to Amos in this way. Now, Amaziah does recognize that Amos is a seer. This is interesting to consider since Amaziah clearly recognizes that Amos is a prophet. Despite recognizing this truth, he still tells Amos to flee, to go south to Judah. He says to eat bread there, which is equivalent to make your profit, earn your living there in Judah, to proclaim his prophecies and preach to the people of Judah. Some might consider this a nice gesture on behalf of Amaziah, perhaps to protect Amos from the king or even the people. However, it is far more likely that Amaziah is seeking to push Amos out forcefully. Hence the statement already noted of earn your living or eat bread. In this way, Amaziah is showing his true colors. He is not happy with the prophecies and wants to silence the prophet by sending him away. The goal for sending Amos away is that he will not prophesy at Bethel any longer. We notice that Amaziah calls it the king's sanctuary, a temple of the kingdom. This implies how interwoven the relationship between uh, the king and the religious cult is. It shows how the elites were accepting of such religious practices, which Amos had been critiquing throughout his prophetic ministry. And it further shows how they refuse the warnings Amos presented to them when it comes to their judgment before God. 
And now we come to verses 14 and 15. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people, Israel. At this point, we come to an interesting response from Amos. Um, it says, I say interesting because it's notorious for being hard to translate. In particular, what the ESV translates as, I was, not, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. It could be translated as, I am no prophet nor a prophet's son. Or, I am no prophet nor a disciple of a prophet. I am a prophet, though not a disciple of a prophet. Or, I am a prophet, though not a son of a prophet. Or, I am and not a prophet, though not from a prophet's guild. I know, weird, huh? But, what do we, what do we make sense of all that? What, are the, what is he trying to say, Amos? What Amos seems to be saying is that he is a prophet, but not the kind of prophet that can be so easily manipulated by the system, whether that be the king or the priesthood, nor that he went into his prophetic or preaching ministry because it was his choice or his preferred method of making money. He was not in it for the money at all. He was not trained in prophecy or delivery, nor was he trained in preaching his prophecies. Instead, he was a herdsman, a dresser of sycamore figs. In other words, he had, all, he had other ways of making his money. In fact, he was making his profit in these ways. It was not, he was not like other prophets who grew up in the prophetic fold, so to speak. He was just an ordinary man working in the field and with cattle. But then, that is what makes it interesting. For he then says, the Lord took me from following the flock. This should resonate with us clearly as we reflect on another individual who was taken from following the flock, and that was King David. In this way, Amos is recognizing his prophetic ministry was not something which he sought, but something which he was called to. Something which God chose for him rather than the other way around. As such, the prophet is recognizing his own dependence upon God for his calling. Amos recognizes it is not his own doing, but God's. For this, Amos was told to prophesy to my people Israel. Amos was told to go, and so Amos went. He went from Judah, his homeland, to preach and prophesy to the people of Israel in the north. As such, Amos is following the commands of the Lord. He is not doing it for monetary wealth, nor is he doing it for esteem or pride, nor even for the king. But instead, he is doing it to be faithful to the ministry God has given him. Now we come to verse 16. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Jacob, uh, house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Amos closes his response with another prophecy. It is interesting what is said. By telling Amos to go and prophesy in Judah, he is clearly telling him to no longer prophesy in Israel. 
But God owns all of Israel and Judah. Thus, to be told not to preach in an area which belongs to God, one might as well say, don't preach or prophesy in any area belonging to God. This is why we see the name change from Israel to the house of Isaac, which includes both Israel and Judah. Thus, Amaziah's heart may very well be laid open before God. Amaziah would prefer Amos to not preach or prophesy at all. And in telling all this to Amos, he is going directly against the Lord, who is the one who called Amos to begin with. Thus, Amos recognizes all, as well as the Lord, that Amaziah is attempting to silence one of the prophets. In doing this, Amaziah is thinking he can manipulate the situation which he has likely been able to do many, many times with other prophets and priests. Unfortunately, as Amos has clearly shown, Amos does not answer to the king, nor does he answer to the priesthood, nor his own purse. Instead, Amos answers to God. The Lord then responds to Amaziah directly that his wife will become a prostitute. His sons and daughters will fall by the sword. His land will be divided up and he shall die in an unclean land. In other words, Amaziah will certainly face exile. Because Amaziah will no longer be able to support his wife when he is led into exile, she will fall into prostitution in order to provide for herself. His progeny will die by fighting, which will lead to exile, which he himself will face. And the property he has will be divided up. Thus nothing will be left of Amaziah or of his line. Ultimately, it will not only be the priest who goes into exile, but the nation of Israel will face exile, being sent away from its land. Now, the main point of this narrative is to give us an example of the elite's response to Amos' preaching and prophesying. They attempted to do something which Amos had previously prophesied against, and that was silencing the prophets. By doing this, they damned themselves to the judgment which is to come. Despite God sending the prophets to them to warn them of impending judgment, they continued to ignore them at best, or threatening them and trying to force them into silence at worst. As such, because of the dreadful state of their society, because they continue to reject God and his prophets, God will send the elites and all the nation into exile. Now, some applications for this. Silencing the prophets. Um, there's something we will hit on in a different way later, but it seems prudent to focus on this concept of silencing prophets. And the reason for that is the seriousness of silencing the prophets. We see the seriousness when the word of the Lord comes against Amaziah. And that word is a word of judgment. So we recognize that silencing the prophets is by no means something God will simply let go. To those who ignore the prophets, those who purposefully seek to keep the prophets quiet, there will be judgment. When we consider this, it makes sense. For if one were to ignore the prophets, then one would be ignoring the word of God. And likewise, if we silence the prophets then we seek to stop God's word from coming to us, and we also seek to stop someone else's calling. Now, many of us will wonder, 
It is one thing for the prophets of old to be silenced, but how does that affect us today? Generally speaking, we do not have an Amos amongst us, or an Isaiah, or a Jeremiah, who has such authority. Yet at the same time, we kind of do. We do have many prophetic voices around us. When our congregation hears the gospel, we are being prophesied to. When we see people in our congregation loving one another, we are seeing the prophetic take place. Prophecy does not only relate to being able to predict future events. Even more importantly, it is being able to communicate the will of God. And sometimes the best way we see that occurs when we simply live out the will of God in our lives. It is therefore possible for us to silence prophets by doing one of the following. First, by ignoring them. Our teachers and preachers can be prophetic in as much as effect as they are faithful to the word of God. When we ignore sound teaching or sound preaching, we effectively ignore the prophetic message given to us. In this way, we may end up silencing the prophets individually in our hearts. Or when we speak against them publicly, we can seek to silence them even further by getting others to ignore them too. Another way we can silence prophets is corporately. In the past, this has been done when a good teacher or preacher is rejected because of style or because uh, their preaching is too hard to hear. In this way, the prophet can be silenced by a congregation who does not want to grow, but instead would rather stay in place, hearing what they've always heard, not willing to be transformed themselves. The best example of this happening is actually someone we know very well, and that is Jesus. Jesus himself. A prophet amongst the people who rejected him, who couldn't understand his message, and generally didn't really want to. Likewise, we can silence prophets in our society. When Christians seek to speak into the society, we end up speaking prophetically if we are true to the scriptures. There are those in church who can try to silence such bold individuals by telling them they can't say that or this. And that it only make Christians look bad if we speak to our broader culture. Now this doesn't mean that everyone who says something in the broader culture is actually or accurately portraying the Christian worldview. And Christians should stand up to those who claim to be proclaiming a Christian message but really aren't. And I'll be honest, that sounds like Westboro Baptist. You got it. not Wellsboro, Westboro. Um, they're the ones who hold all the signs and say, "I hate God hates everybody." Literally, they say that. Um, Yeah, we need to stand up against that. That's not how God wants us to speak. Still, but they also claim that they're from God, but we have to say no to that. Still, there are those who really are faithful, though, to Christ, who speak into the culture, and many Christians seek to silence them. And to be honest, I saw much of this happen during the past election, and I'm not going to comment any further on that, because God's will be done. But it can go even further. To those who are simply being faithful in their lives and what God has given. The faithful mother or father. The faithful friend. The faithful spouse. The faithful businessman. The faithful teacher. The world will try to tear down such prophetic voices who fulfill their calling. But it can also occur in the church. 
when individuals within the church seek to dissuade another individual from being faithful to their calling, it happens. So it is we must be careful. The judgment on Amaziah is harsh, but it is harsh because to silence a prophet is to silence their calling. And that leads not only to Amaziah not hearing prophecies, but others as well. Thus, we should be careful with each other to seek to encourage individuals in what they have been called to do in accordance with the scriptures and Christ rather than seeking to dissuade them or discourage them. Now, that leads to another point, and that's being faithful. Today we see Amos recognizing something about his ministry. Specifically, he reveals that his ministry is not something which he was necessarily aiming toward. In fact, we learn that he worked with livestock and trees prior to being called to the prophecy or to prophesy in Israel. As such, he recognizes that it was not his own doing. Instead, he was merely being faithful to the ministry God had called him to. This is something which we all need to remember at times. And that is that we all have a calling in some particular way. That is, not everyone is called to preach or teach. We know that. But we are all called to minister to one another, for example. We are all called to love one another. We are all called to be faithful in the places where God has called us to be. And in the manner which he has called us to be. Yet, We want to be careful not to make a mistake. Sometimes we can think that a calling is only involved within the church. That, however, is not the case. While it is true that we certainly have callings in the church to be involved with our loving congregation, each of us also has a calling outside of our congregation. And this is to follow God with all of our lives. An example I can think of uh, for this is when I became a husband. Now, me being a husband does have ramifications for the church. However, it also has ramifications for outside the church also. I am called to be a husband to Carissa. In order for me to be faithful to that calling, I should seek out what the scriptures inform me of what a faithful husband is and follow it. By seeking out wisdom of the scriptures and the wisdom of those who have been married for a long time, longer than I have within the church. The same can be said of having children. Again, this has ramifications for the church, but it also has ramifications for outside of the church, other areas of my life. And like being a husband, being a parent is a calling in its own right. How can I be faithful to this calling? The same as being with being a husband, to seek out the wisdom in raising my children through the scriptures And seeking out fellow believers who have had children and know how to raise them. You all. (laughs) Now it is easy to say these things. But like Amos, there comes points in our callings when the world would rather us not be faithful. We can think of Amos in this regard. When he is told to go south to Judah. Amos, he could have done this. He could have listened to Amaziah and simply gone south without so much as a word further to Amaziah or Israel. But Amos also knows that this is not something he can do. Because he has been called. And being called, he must follow where God leads. The world is like that when it comes to our own callings. 
It wants us to raise our kids the way it would have us raise our children according to worldly standards. It would have our marriages and our friendships look like the marriages and friendships of the world. It would make it so that our marriages are founded on emotions or passions rather than God. It would have us raise our children with the purpose of being their friends first and foremost rather than their parents. When the world comes at us with these things, it is when we should be bold as Amos and reject such proposals. Now some will think, but pastor, I do not have a word of the Lord. And what I am to do, the way Amos did, he was a prophet. You heard him say it. The word of the Lord came to me. He took me out. But I respond, you do. It's right here in the scriptures. The scriptures which encourage us to holiness, to show us sanctification, and shows us how to live and by what standard we are to live by. The word of the Lord came to me concerning my wife. Do you know what it said? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. The word of the Lord came to me concerning my children. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. This world, it would change all of our relationships and all of our callings. And you know what? It beckons us. To not reason using the scriptures, but to reason by our own understanding alone. But what of our own understanding? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight or straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Our understanding, our reasoning must be held captive to something, someone greater than ourselves. This is why we take so much time in the scriptures. This is why we take so much time to learn about our God, who he is, what he has done. Because if we were to rely only on our own understanding, we would find ourselves caught in the same place for years and years and decades. The world, however would rather us stay in our own understanding because then it has beaten us in a way which Amos could have been beaten by Amaziah. And that is in our prophetic voice. Many have heard me say this, that we have a prophetic voice in our society. Our primary prophetic voice is the gospel itself. It is a proclamation of the gospel. However, it goes so much further than this. It also goes into what we believe, how we live in our relationships. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your husband, your friends, can be prophetic to the world around us if we are seeking an understanding greater than our own. The way we live can be prophetic to the world around us if we are seeking understanding truly greater than our own. When we seek the understanding of the Lord through His Son, through the Scriptures... Then we become prophetic in this world by showing the world the way of God. When you love your wife as Christ loved the church or seek to train up your children and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-grandchildren in the knowledge of the Lord, then you show this world a way which has its foundation on God. 
So what is the point of all this? The point is to be faithful. Don't let the world dictate either the way you live or how you are to live. Instead, let the gospel transform everything. For the gospel is that which is able to transform our minds and cause us to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It is through the gospel that these callings which we all have can be given back to God for his glory. Now that said, I know some of you are like me. What I mean is, when I think of the tall order, it means to give all of my life over to Christ. When I think of all the ways I could fail, and all the ways I have already failed, it can become like a mountain of doubt over me. I know I have not been perfect as a husband, nor have I been perfect as a father or a friend. I guess I can ask all of you, were any of your um, spouses perfect, or are they perfect? Betsy, you laughed a little too quick. And Mike's not even here. But no, have you been perfect? Um, What about your children? Do any of you have perfect children? Or have you had perfect children? Um... Were you perfect in raising them? (laughs) And what about friendship? Have you always been the perfect friend? Or have your friends always been perfect with you? Well, this passage today should give all of us hope when we consider all of this. Because what did we learn about Amos before he was called to be a prophet? He was a herdsman, an addresser of sycamore figs. He was not trained to be a prophet. He was doing something completely different than what God ultimately called him to do and called him to be. Hmm. That sounds like a lot, of, uh, a lot like a bunch of people I know who are at one time not Christian but became Christians. That sounds a lot like me before God saved me from my sins. You see, there's a great encouragement here. And a blatant, blatant one is, is that even though we might not have been doing things perfectly, or even trying to do perfectly, we can always change under Christ. Another is, though we may not feel adequate enough to be faithful in our callings, we can learn from Amos to simply be faithful, even when we have doubts or opposition. We can't be sure Amos had doubts. For him, it might have been obvious. It might have been simply one of those, I must do this scenarios. But what we can see from Amos is that being faithful is not necessarily about having the ability to do it beforehand, but simply being faithful now to do what we are called to do and to be. That like Amos, we do have the word of the Lord which directs us where to go with whatever calling God has given to us. You know, all of this reminds me of a passage in 1 Corinthians, and it's one that I have taken to heart. Um, and, and it hits me because it's me. It's just me. And it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is faith foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Indeed, indeed, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. What more can one say other than to be encouraged to not follow the world? Do not let the world snuff out your prophetic ministry, which we all have when it comes to these areas of our lives. Like Amaziah, it will tell us to turn and flee, to hide away the reality of the gospel and all that it entails. But like Amos, we should seek faithfulness to God in all areas of our lives. For all of our lives are calling to glorify God each and every day. So be faithful to this. Now all of this reminds us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we especially consider the reality of our own salvation. When we consider the reality that we weren't anything special before our salvation. In fact, we were more like Amaziah than Amos before our salvation. And we can see, when we see the gospel, we can see how it takes us, it changes us, and gives us a greater calling to follow after God. From being a prophet of darkness, living in darkness, and showing the world all the wonders of darkness, to showing, showing the way of sin and death, to being a prophet of light, a prophetess of light, proclaiming the gospel in all of our lives. It is only possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ and by being faithful. The gospel begins with our origins. God created all things by the power of his word. He is the first cause of all things. He is the only one without a cause because he has no beginning. For he always was and always is and always will be. All of the cosmos, however, does have a beginning, and because of that, a cause which is God. Now, last of all the cosmos to be created was humanity, from God, and whom he made in his own image. Because God is a God of love, reason, knows, can be known, has personhood, and even shows loving kindness and has morality, we can as well. It is here we find dignity, sanctity, and worth to all human life. But like God, we are also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience and into life, or choose to follow sin and disobedience and death. We chose the latter and have continued to do so ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world, they're all broken. We continue to accrue a greater moral guilt before our God every day. And because of that, we are worthy of condemnation and judgment. God did not leave us in this place of sorrow without hope forever. Instead, he sent his light and gave us his word in our darkness, and that is his Son, his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by him we are justified before our holy and righteous God. It is through his blood we are cleansed from our sin. It is in his victory that we find our own victory in life and over death. All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance from sin. We are to turn away from sin and turn toward God. We are to live lifestyles that are congruent with the scriptures, with Christ as revealed by the scriptures, in step with his Holy Spirit. We are to seek to live for the glory of God above all. And in this way we bear witness to the power of God in us for our salvation by how we live in love 
The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we are able to do which saves us from our sins. It is what Christ has done. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone that we are saved. For those who remain in disobedience, there is only condemnation. None can stand before God with their deeds in hand, for even their best deeds are as filthy rags before our holy and righteous God. Therefore, to stand before God without any atonement for sin is to stand in judgment for the moral guilt which um, sin provides and which we all have apart from Christ. For those who are obedient, though, there is no longer condemnation. Instead, they receive the love reserved only for the Son of God. They enter into joy of knowing God as their Father in heaven. They are able to have victory over sin in this life and victory over death in the next. Not because of what they do, but because what Christ has done. And in the end, they become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom of peace with their God forever. In all of these things, we give praise to God for the gospel revealed to us through the scriptures. We give thanks for the prophets among us who remind us how we can live. How God can use us in our callings to be prophetic in all of these areas in our lives. How something which the world would see as small, such as being a parent or a teacher or a businessman, or a spouse, becomes something grand in Christ when we are faithful to honor God in these callings and how they become prophetic when we are faithful. So seek faithfulness and encourage others as well to be faithful. For it is in our faithfulness we reflect the great light of Christ in the world in all of these ways. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophets who spoke to us so long ago, who encourage us to be faithful. And as we consider this concept of faithfulness, Lord, we ask that you would lead us in faithfulness, that you would guide us on our paths, and that you would continue to be with us in our callings to worship and to honor you to glorify you with all of our lives. We thank you, Lord. We thank you again for all that you do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.